Welcome back to the Rocky Retirement Show. I'm your host, Kathy Klein, and today I have a guest host with me. This is the last of the four-part series with Ted Carr, and we are going to talk about... What are we talking about today, Ted? The shortest path to happiness. Woohoo! Happiness. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Ted. He has been on the Rocky Retirement Show before, not only as the guest host, but I actually did an episode with him way back, episode 93, one of the most popular um, episodes of the Rocky Retirement Show, because we talked about the, the stages of life. And he also has another show called Retire Hoppy. This is a fun, lighthearted show, which not only talks about retirement planning, financial retirement, that kind of thing, but he and his co-host drink different craft beers while they're doing it. And they talk about craft beer too. So that's kind of fun. And I was on his show as well. Let's see, what else did I... Oh, I wanted to say, go ahead and check it out. It's called Retire Happy. And if you're on iTunes... Hoppy. (laughs) Hoppy. (laughs) Everyone makes it mistake. <laughs> because of hops. Right. Sorry, I missed, messed that up. <laughs> Retire Hoppy. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on any of Stitcher. the podcasts. Yeah, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, whatever. Now, a little bit about Ted. He retired from a biotech company in San Francisco when he was in his mid-50s. Um, now, like most of us, he had a little bit of problems in the beginning adjusting, but hey, he's way past that now. And because so many people asked him how he did it, he started an earlier show called Retirement Journeys. That show is now closed down, but that was his first show and that gave him a lot of experience. And now he's doing the um, the other show. But before he did that, he actually started writing about the six stages of retirement. And that's sort of what kicked him off in doing this. So before Ted and I start, though, I'm going to remind you that this show is sponsored by the the step-by-step guide for signing up for Medicare. It's a little book, uh, not really a booklet, it's a couple pages that I created, my staff and I created, that walks you step-by-step exactly what you need to do when it's time to sign up. Best yet, Um, You don't even have to give us your email address. Just go to medicarequick.com slash checklist and you can download it all for free. Now, of course, I do have an ulterior motive. I hope that you call me when the time comes, but you don't even have to do that. So Ted, welcome back to the Rocky Retirement Show. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure. Yes, I always enjoy talking with you. And you found this article. Let me see if I can find it. It's in my little packet here. Sorry about the noise. The Shortest Path to Happiness. This sounds like a movie. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like a movie? It's a a short film. Yeah, a short film. So do you want to start us off on talking about this? Yeah. Well, it comes from this really fun little website I found called OptimizeYourLife.com. And you'll find this article there, along with we'll call them prequels, you know, articles that lead into this this particular article that we're referencing. And in the earlier articles, they make some pretty interesting claims. And it starts up, well, can, can we even make ourselves happier? Is it even possible? Isn't happiness some kind of a um, a sub, like it, it happens, but you can't really chase it, right? It- well, I think, I think we'll, they'll, they'll probably argue differently. But I think most people say, yeah, it's either, you either are or you aren't. So like you're born happy, right? You're just predisposed to be happy. Well, I don't know 
about that, but I think certain things that you do, the the result of doing them make yourself happy. Like, mm-hmm. um, for example, if you have a lot of friends, your chances of being happier are probably more than if you're not and you're just keeping to yourself and mm-hmm. whatever. But you can't necessarily chase happiness. Like, I'm going to do this today to make myself happy. I think there's things that you do where the I forget what the word is, but the result of it is happiness, but you yeah. can't necessarily chase after it, maybe. Well, I think you've, you've mentioned a couple aspects of happiness that this earlier article that I mentioned that uh, precedes um, The Shortest Path to Happiness um, talks about. And this is interesting to me. I hadn't seen these uh, statistics before, but they say 50% of happiness is determined by genetics and therefore out of your control. What? That is unfair. That's totally not fair. I mean, come on. They say 10% is referred to as situational happiness. Okay. And that includes whether we are rich or poor, healthy or ill, where we live, what our job is, whether and even whether you have a job at all. And then it goes on to say a rich, beautiful, perfectly healthy person with everything going for them has only a 10% head start on the person whose entire life is a complete mess. <laughs> Well, what about really what about all these famous people yeah. that commit suicide? Well, yeah, and people that win the lottery too. Right. On the outside yeah. looking in, it's like, oh man, they've got the perfect yeah. life. And then yeah. you find out that nobody you, you you don't know how somebody's life is by looking on the outside. A- a- absolutely. And so there's sort of that situational happiness. So people have a facade that they present to the public, but their situations vary. And it's kind of interesting to say, well, if, even if you make improvements in your situation within that 10% that counts towards happiness, they're only temporary because we always want more. And this is called hedonic adaptation, where we get used to things and we end up wanting more. And happiness from new additions or making uh, accomplishments and milestones is short-lived. The new house, the new it's car, the new job. Lifestyle inflation, right? right? We're just wired through adaptation of always wanting more, going back to kind of like our primal survival instinct. You know, more more means we got a better chance of surviving in the future when we don't have anything. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. So everything just have an emergency fund, that whole concept of contingency planning. We're all leaves... living like cavemen, only we don't know it. Exactly, <laughs> it's true. We're not that different genetically, right? We're still kind of this the same species. Right, and then the la- the last forty percent is based on what we think and what we do on a day-to-day basis. And I think the author is arguing that of the 60% that is uh, situational and genetic, we can't really do much about it. But at least 40% that perhaps we do. And that that this 40% includes things like helping others, having new experiences, practicing gratitude, building a positive mindset. And this is where we can take some positive steps to make our lives better and make ourselves happier. I think that's where the journal came in. The the uh, it's not called Rocky Retirement. It's called the Baby Boomer Thirty Day Journal, which mm. I created. It's, it's available on oh. Amazon, okay. and it takes into account what I call the six areas of retirement lifestyle. Mm. Um, and it also talks about doing something spiritual in the morning, whether it's meditating or. Uh, praying or whatever, setting goals mm-hmm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. I do yeah. think that people, um, if they set small goals, are happier in general because you can achieve a small goal. 
-hmm. you know, like if you want to climb, climb, um, Mount Everest or Kilimanjaro, how do you pronounce that? Anyway, let's say you want to climb a mountain where your goal for today isn't going to be climb that mountain. It's going to be, uh, walk 10,000 steps. Mm-hmm. And those goals that are difficult but attainable, I think, move you towards your I mean, I think people are happier that do that. What do you think? Yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely think that there's a lot of factors within this 40% that we can influence the outcome of our happiness, how we feel about life and ourselves. And having goals, I think, and setting goals is a really healthy habit that successful and happy people follow. So I, I totally agree with you. On the other hand, this article says appreciating now, living, you know, mm-hmm. living in the moment. And you know, I have met people that the happy-go-lucky kind of people that they don't think about the future. Now that's difficult for the two of us because we're mm-hmm. both, right. you know, we plan ahead. Right. You know, I was a financial advisor. You were an analytical person that did that. Um, but I do think a lot of those people are a lot happier. I mean, look at um, people in third-world countries. You and I think their life is a mess, but they've got their family around, they've got their religion, and I think overall those people are probably a lot happier than we are. Well, perhaps they don't think about the future because the future maybe isn't going to be different or isn't um, attractive to them, so it almost forces them to live in the moment. And you know that's also referred to as mindfulness, which is a pretty popular movement out there. Right now, mm-hmm. And uh, I ran across, like I wrote about this in, in my blog, and I br- ran across um, an article in a study done by a UC San Francisco professor named uh, Matt Killingsworth. And he believes that the contents of these moments to moments living have a big influence on our happiness. And he actually developed an app an that app. collects data. Yeah, he did, and I, I that was the name of my, my blog post, <laughs> Happiness, there's an app for it. But he actually puts this app out there. You or I could get this app. And what you do is, you, you rate your happiness based on where you're, where you're at and what you're doing at that moment. Hmm. And what he found is that people that are focused in that moment were happier when our minds were not wandering, including neutral, pleasant, or unpleasant mind wandering. And it says it's even true for unpleasant things like commuting. Hmm. And then he says, on the average, we, our mind wanders 30% of the time, and much of that mind wandering focused on negative feelings, worries, anxieties, and regrets. And, I can say, yeah, that happens to me. I go out and do something I love doing, uh, running out on trails, and my mind starts wandering. Right. And I start thinking negative stuff and worrying about this or that, this deadline or whatever. When I focus on what I'm doing, the beauty around me, that I'm doing what I love, my, I, I'm much happier. I mean, I'm sure that my scale would be, you know, towards a 10, what I'm thinking about just enjoying soaking up what I'm doing. Wow. You know, that that's really a good point. I'm usually thinking about, a million things at once. Um, but I think generally on a scale of to one of one to 10, I'm probably an eight or a nine when it comes to being happy. Okay. You well, that, that, that's great. I'm, I'm more moody and um, things fluctuate. I wouldn't say that I could say on average, I'm an eight or a nine, probably a little lower than that. But I find that when I am doing things that are um, in the moment, Mm-hmm. I think if you asked me at that point in time, I would say, yes, I'm, I'm happy. Or when I'm practicing gratitude or uh, savoring, which this article goes on to say is an aspect of, of gratitude, which simply means taking your time to enjoy something like when I'm out running rather than, you know, just sort of doing it rotely, you know. I think people who are grateful are way happier than people who aren't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and 
And that is something that can be cultivated. Um, a lot of religions focus on being grateful. Um, but it's hard. When I first started writing down what I was grateful for, because that's one of the things that I do in the morning on the journal, mm-hmm. it's really hard. I, I was like, okay, well, I'm grateful for you know the sunshine. And all of a sudden, you run out of things. And so I started being grateful. So So I go through the letters of the alphabet. So in the beginning, it's A. So what am I grateful mm. for For that starts with A that I haven't said already? Mm. Um, and then the next day would be B, and then the next day, you know, and so forth until I get to Z, and then it all starts over again. Oh. So that's kind of how I try. And sometimes I have to, like, pull up a dictionary or something. And I'm, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> you know, because... We in the United States are not trained to be grateful. We're trained to want more. Right, which plays into this whole thing of being unhappy. and uh, Because and, we're and, supposed to be the Joneses, you know, supposed to keep up with the Joneses, right? Right, right. That, and that, that's a big deal. And other, and other cultures, too. Um, I know in China, people will buy cars, even if they don't have driver's license, just True. to park them to show their neighbors that they're wealthy enough to afford a car. Oh, my goodness. So there are a lot of materialistic cultures, including ours. And uh, I think if you, if you subscribe to that, buy into it, you're setting yourself up for failure because you'll never have enough because right. the, there's always more. always escalates, right? There's always someone else. I was looking at houses uh, the other day, and my husband and I live in a pretty expensive house. Mm-hmm. And so by the time this episode airs, we will have moved to South Carolina. At oh, this taping, really? I know we can talk about it after, wow. but um, yeah. so we're and by the time this episode airs, there will already be a show about how we made the decision and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, it's a listener, if you haven't listened to that yet, just go back and 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 find that those four episodes we're doing a series. Yeah. Um, but I I looked at our you know I was trying to find our house on the real estate agents listings and it wasn't there. And so I started looking through the other listings. There were houses, like the majority of the houses on this listing site were 25 and $30 million. And I'm thinking, wow. okay, that's totally outside of my reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought our house was expensive. But, you know, those are for the 1%, right? Mm-hmm. The 1% owns houses like that. I'm not in the 1%. I would say that we're in the 20%. Mm-hmm. But we're definitely not not in the twenty five and thirty million dollar house range. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the the whole thing about being grateful. I think everybody can relate to, and it is challenging. And, and sometimes you're not having a good day. It's hard to find something to feel grateful for. But in this article, there was another way of looking at the whole gratitude thing that I hadn't run across before, and they call it Stoic lessons. And what that means is there's Stoic philosophers like from ancient Greece. They taught that we should regularly take time out of, of our day to imagine loss, taking time to consider how we would feel if we lost the things in our lives that make us appreciate the fact that we still have them. Right. I'm like, wow. So that's like sort of the, the inverse and say, well, what would my life be like if, you know, I didn't have this house or I didn't have my wife or, or I didn't, I didn't have, have my fingers. Right. So it's sort of like another way you say gosh, you know, if I didn't have this, think of how my life would look. It would be pretty unpleasant, but I have it. So 
I'm so grateful. So you kind of like looking at it the other way, right? I thought it was kind of an interesting take on it. Right. Yeah. I've got all my fingers, got all my toes. Yeah. So yeah. far, I can still think. <laughs> we don't know how long it'll be before I lose my marbles. But um, but yeah, I mean, there are, we, all of us have things to be grateful for. You know, mm-hmm. there was a um, sign that I used to go to this chiropractor and I took a picture of this sign and I posted it a year or two, three years ago on my website and it said, or on my Facebook and it said, this morning I'm grateful for two things, my eyes. Mm, there you go. I'm only grateful for two things, my yeah. eyes. And I thought, oh, wow, that yeah, just yeah. made such a yeah. statement for me. And imagine the inverse if you didn't have your eyes, imagine life without it. Exactly. Right? Wow. And, you know, one other thing that they mentioned that I've always failed at, and I just have to admit that it was meditation. I, I don't have a mind that I can shut off no matter how many times I go. Mm-hmm. That's my heart. That's my hard thing I, too. I can't. So I always tell people that when I'm out running my trails and the preserve in the desert, that that's my form of meditation. If I can quiet my mind wandering, if I can get into that zone, which I'm sure you've heard of, that's meditative for me. It's just, there's something called uh, bilateral stimulation, um, which can help calm you. And I think running is analogous to bilateral stimulation because you put one foot in another. So that movement, hmm. it just calms me down and and it just relaxes me so, so much. And so that's my my form of meditation because I can't sit in the lowest position, even if I could, and, uh, and, and really let my mind go. I wish I could. I've tried. I can't. Oh, well, even when I was trying, I tried to do yoga. And uh, I can do Pilates because mm. you're moving faster. You know, mm-hmm. same kind of movement, right? Pilates and yeah, yoga. Yeah. But I, I just can't hold a position for mm. a long time. You know, when I was taking art classes, everybody in this life drawing. So I took a life drawing class. Mm-hmm. And now the models were, were nude. But mm-hmm. at the end, all of the students had to pose but we had our clothes on. (laughs) We didn't have to post news. And the teacher said I was the worst model ever because I cannot sit still. When you're drawing, the model has to sit perfectly still for, you know, like an hour. And I can sit still for like three minutes. And you're you're watching me right now. So the listener, we're going to put this on YouTube as well. But um, Ted and I can see each other. I know if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see us, but he's watching me wiggle. Like I cannot. I, I, I sit more still than you do. I cannot. But you can't still. see my hands, so I'm constantly fidgeting. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get you one of those fidget rings or whatever they're called. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, Wait, I just I can't do it. <laughs> I try. Well, you know, there's there's, a, there's another perspective on happiness that I've written about. In fact, I, I just did a podcast with uh, Roy called the U Curve of Happiness. And that, that's a really kind of interesting thing. And it's based on a study of like over 500,000 people from around the world. And the premise is that you start out your life and you're, you're full of potential excitement. You're enthusiastic. You're just getting your life up. And, and so you set out high. And then as you go on. You oh, know, it's you, the opposite of what normal. You start to go down. Oh. And then you reach a, a nadir in your midlife because. You know, maybe you find out you didn't meet all your career goals and maybe you find out you're reaching some age discrimination and pressures of family and your you know, body's financial starting kind to of, go. <laughs> yeah, that too. And then as you get into your 50s, they say your happiness starts to increase until you, you know, kind of reach retirement where you're sort of free. Is that because be- in your 50s, you just don't give a care anymore? Well, the, kid, the kids are gone, hopefully. The kids are gone. <laughs> 
you've made peace with your career and your body. You're like, you're "Eh." more financially stable. (laughs) Right. So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And so Hmm. when we were doing this podcast, I asked my wife, I said, well, how do you feel about the whole U curve of happiness? And she goes, well, mine was more of a J. Oh, a J. Huh. And then she goes, oh, I go, why is that? She goes, well, I started out and I, I didn't really want to work. I didn't go to college for my passion, which is art. I went to be in accounting. So I saw I saw my happiness go like this. But then once once I retired and got to get into my art and I achieved my financial goals and whatever, that said, now my happiness is like linear, like straight up. So she goes, mine's more like a J. I That's said, mine's awesome. like a W. I started Up really down. <laughs> I had a really bad decade where I made some bad decisions and fell behind my peers. And then I, I met my wife and my happiness went back up and my career was going great. Then I retired. I had two years, as you alluded to, where I was disillusioned. And then I got my life together called Retirement 2.0. So mine was like a W. Hmm. What were you? Do you have a, a U or a W or a J? <laughs> I don't know. I think my my happiness, I think, has been I was pretty just all just well no when I was in high school and early sort of early 20s I was depressed a lot Mm. but I actually mostly high school but I attribute that not to the typical high school things but to the fact that I lived in Valdez Alaska where there's no sun Mm Right. And I think I have that seasonal, sad seasonal, mm-hmm. yeah, seasonal something disorder, disorder seasonal yeah. whatever. Affection, and affection. yeah, seasonal affective disorder. That's what yeah. it's called. Okay. And so I do need to live in a place where there is sunshine. I can't mm-hmm. live where it's cloudy every day. It it definitely, definitely right. affects me. Right. Um but other than that, my happiness is pretty steady um after I got out of my twenties pretty steady. Mm-hmm. I can always do more, you know, I can always yeah. try to make my life better, but I tend to be more positive on the inside. I don't know if I if I act positive on the outside, but on the inside I'm usually thinking about what's what's good and I'm trying to stop myself from complaining. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I got into this situation a couple of years ago where everything I said seemed to be like a complaint to other people. And of course, it's hard to make friends when you're the complainer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to focus on the positive, And I think my friends are a lot happier now. <laughs> well, you know, my, my Aunt Grace, who lived to be almost 104, she had a lot of things happen throughout the course of her life, as we all do. And some of them were very traumatic and catastrophic. <clears throat> I never heard my Aunt Grace complain once about wow. how she was feeling about some of the crap that was happening. And this is really bad stuff. She always just was in a good mood. And just and she, she was great to be around because she, she never complained. And I always try to take that from my Aunt Grace and say, you know, my, my struggles and, and my issues are, are, are mine. And broadcasting them to somebody else is going to bring them down. And they can't do anything for me anyhow. Right. So, Right. So why bring it up? So I try not to, I I don't think I'm really much of a complainer about myself. I think I complain about things around me. Mm. Like, oh, the waiter hasn't been here for 20 minutes. Oh, um, the the plane is late. Oh, whatever. I mean, I complain about external things. I don't say, oh, my body's falling apart and my back hurts. I say that every now and then to less, but... Um, just in general, I don't bring up my physical complaints to other people, you know? yeah. but just little things around like, oh, my eggs are overcooked or, oh, uh, blah, blah, blah. And that can get, that can become a bit much if 
the person you're with is constantly bringing you down. And I was that person for a while. So yeah. I try not to be that person. Yeah. Yeah. I only have really one aspect that I have to uh, work on in the spirit of my grace and, and that's driving. I do complain incessantly about the people. Other people. Oh. I consider it to be inferior drivers. <laughs> and there's a lot of them out there. <laughs> yeah, I won't include you in that list. <laughs> well, you know, I've had my my issues with driving. I think on overall, I'm a good driver, but I'm not a good backer outer of my driveway. <clears throat> that is not yeah. a good good uh, yeah. situation for me. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. um. But yeah. So. What are some quick tips that we can give to the listener on how to be happy before we say goodbye? Well, I think practice mindfulness, you know, try, try to live in the moment, savor your experiences, um, practice gratitude, you know, be grateful for what you have. And maybe try that inverse, which I haven't tried yet, um, where imagine what you, the things you don't have and what your life would be like, and then realize how fortunate you are to have those things in your life. And, you know, maybe, um, Maybe taking a look at that that breakdown of happiness, the 50% that is genetic, the 10% that's situational, uh, and the 40% that's gene control, and just focus on, on that the 40%, 40%. which is what you can influence and, right. and not worried about the other stuff. So maybe don't take yourself so seriously. Don't we put a lot of emphasis on being happy and, and maybe maybe that's you know misplaced and just be yourself and accept yourself and and Whitney Houston saying, um, you know, something about just love yourself, right? Learning right. to love yourself is the greatest gift of all. And I think that's that has a lot of validity, a lot of truth to it. What a great note to end on. Thank you. Okay. My that, pleasure. That was awesome. So, listener, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode of Rocket Retirement. And don't forget to join us next week. We'll see you next week on Rock Your Retirement. Bye. Bye.